You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. way in the seventh seat Isuzu MUX. Visit your local Isuzu Ute dealer today. Mornings with Mark Duffield. Everybody and welcome to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Winter is officially over, but it's still pretty wintry outside. The rain is coming down, so don't forget to shop winter at TKD. We've got a good show for you today. And there's a nice little story bubbling in the waffle. East Fremantle, who are top of the ladder and will play a second semi-final this weekend against Peel Thunder, are under investigation by the West Australian Football Commission for alleged breaches of the salary cap. These breaches include a $16,000 superannuation payment, the potential that they didn't follow proper guidelines in match day awards, which involved about $5,000 worth of footy boots being handed out to players, and a payment of an initial contract to a footballer who ended up on West Coast rookie list as an SSP sign-on at the end of the summer. I'm not sure what advantage Eastern Mantle gets out of that, but anyway, that may be also a technical breach of the salary cap. Now, the interesting thing about these is is that if they're viewed in the light of what happened to South Fremantle at the start of this season, where South Fremantle were penalised eight premiership points, what happens to East Fremantle as a result of this? Now, our understanding is the investigation is still ongoing, and so East Fremantle will take part in this uh, final series and any penalties would probably apply to the 2024 season. Also the suggestion that East Fremantle discovered these uh, breaches or alleged breaches themselves during an audit and self-reported to the West Australian Football Commission. So we'll watch that one unfold. Of course, on the weekend, the Eagles held their best and fairest on Saturday night. The John Worsfold medal decided. Tim Kelly, a much-deserved winner and a comfortable winner of that award, as he should have been, had an outstanding season. It was a very deserving top three with Oscar Allen, the runner-up, and Liam Duggan finishing third. Well done to Jaden Hunt finishing fourth. Well done to Bailey Williams, their most improved player, finishing sixth. But it's probably fair to say the rest of the top ten was something of a testament to just how bleak West Coast season was. Consider the following... The club's 35-year-old veteran Shannon Hearn finished fifth in the best and fairest of 13 games. 13 games. The 35-year-old is your fifth best player of the season. Seventh was Andrew Gaff, who would probably be being retired at the end of this year if he didn't have a contract for next year. Alex Witherden finished strongly but was on the fringes of the team at other stages during the year. He was in the top 10. Tom Barris finished ninth off 14 games. And this is the raw challenge in front of the West Coast Eagles. Stripped back to the bare bones without end of any end-of-season feel-good spin. 
The coach, Adam Simpson, spoke at the gala function at Crown. He has been saved. He tells us he is energised. But what the Eagles fans need more than an energised coach is they need to see good players fit. They need to see more commercially sound players emerging at the level below their gun players. So if a few of the good players are out the outcomes aren't as dire as they were so many times in this 2023 season. AFLW kicked off. In many games, was a clear lift in the standard from previous seasons. So on behalf of Izuzu Utes, and you can live your own way in the seven-seater MUX, here are four points on the AFLW to four-wheel drive you to work today. Point one, you can mark Richmond down as one of the AFLW season's big improvers. Their win over Brisbane in a high-quality game yesterday was a statement victory. The Tigers have more depth than they have had in previous years, and to run the Lions down and overpower them in the end was a superb effort. Point two, you can mark Melbourne down as very tough to beat again. They had to see off Brianna Davies' huge first half in the match against Collingwood on Friday. They then had to steady themselves. And then the Demons smashed the Pies after halftime and were runaway winners. The Demons are even across the board and of all the teams at the weekend, they were the ones who showed the strongest method. You can put them down as your flag favourites. Point three, if you're a Frio fan and you're looking for a player to watch and follow, the Dockers tall Irish women on your tie is it. The sixth AFLW Western Derby was a tight, low-scoring affair played in difficult and blustery conditions at Fremantle Oval. The Dockers won it over the back of Laura Pugh's defence and Ty's ability to turn half chances into goals. She kicked two. One was a mad scramble of feet. The other was sheer brilliance along the ground, running into the pocket, the dribble kick curling in and across the line. She went behind the ball at the end, took two clutch marks to win any chance the Eagles had of pinching the game. By the end of this season, Ty may well hold the title of Fremantle's best player, and she may be one of the best players in the competition. And point four, teenager Ella Roberts may already be West Coast's best player. She had 24 disposals and took four marks, gained 339 metres for her team, more than any other player on the ground in yesterday's derby. When the Eagles came hard at Fremantle after halftime, she was the one who drove them. And it's fair to say that the Eagles have struggled to find A players of A-grade quality in their AFLW list build. They have certainly got one now. Roberts is very, very good, and she's likely to get a fair bit better from here on in. What did you think of the AFLW? A lot of close and good games at the weekend. What were your impressions? I think we're going to see a spike in the standard if the first round of fixtures is any indication. And hopefully the WA teams can make some ground on the competition. Give us your thoughts on the Temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or give us a call on the open line on 13 12 55. We'll be talking to Code Sports Eliza Riley late in the show to get her thoughts on round one in the AFLW. And still on footy, and uh, as I mentioned, that cloud hanging over East Fremantle as they launch into a finals campaign. But there was a good chance to focus local in the bye weekend ahead of the AFL finals, which of course start on Thursday. And we thought this Waffle final series had the potential to be a cracking series, and we certainly got a great start to it on the weekend. 
Peel beat Subiaco in a seesawing qualifying final on Saturday, and then Claremont gradually overcame East Perth in a rugged elimination final on Sunday. It's fair to say that on the game yesterday, the Tigers were the better team for much of the second half, and also fair to say that the Royals fans weren't overly impressed with a 26-13 free kick count that went against them. It's also fair to say a couple of local draft prospects did themselves no harm on the weekend. Daniel Curtin, very handy again, playing seniors for Claremont. 15 disposals, playing mainly at halfback for the Tigers. Colton Tholstrop, of course, played for Subiaco. He was quieter than Curtin, but he did get three shots at goal away and is a very promising player. And Lance Collard lit up the Lions-Colts elimination final win over West Perth, kicking five goals. Collard is a West Coast NGA prospect, and you can bet the Eagles would have been taking close notice of him. One question looming large is, can anyone beat Peel? East Fremantle finished top on the ladder. They will play the Thunder this weekend. Peel's season ending has been strong, and they had 11 AFL-listed players out there for them at the weekend. It's going to be a fascinating battle between them and the Sharks, of course, with that salary cap investigation looming in the background. Who wins the waffle flag? What do you think? You can give us your thoughts on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. The open line is 13 12 55. We'll be getting a US Open update from Brett Phillips. Of course, Australian Rinky Hijikata. Bowed out today in straight sets, beaten by Francis Tiafo. The Demon, Alex Demonor, set to play tonight. And we will also talk cricket. The BBL drafts held overnight. Of course, the Scorchers getting Zach Crawley and Laurie Evans, leaving a spot open. And in the WBBL, the Scorchers letting Marazan Cap go, retaining Sophie Devine, and uh, getting Danny Wyatt, the English international, will be talking to Alana King later in the show. Settle in for two hours of serious sport. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Tigers, of course, 12-point winners over East Perth in a really doer and tough elimination final yesterday at Leaderville Oval. And joining us on the show is their coach, Ash Prescott, to talk about the win. Ash, welcome. Thanks for having us, Duff. It was a pretty tough game, wasn't it, mate? Very doer, very tight, and uh, you, your boys hung pretty tough in the end. Yeah, absolutely. To get to get over the line, I mean, they're a, they're a very good side, as everyone knows, and, and they got some really big, strong inside midfielders, and it was a real midfield war all day. And I think the conditions being gusty and a little bit heavy, you know, added to that. But it was good to come out on top. Um, how did you shut down their midfield? Because obviously that's where they're most strong. Ash, what did you do to cope with that? I was a little bit head to head, Duff. Um, you know, we got we got some big boys in there too, and, and guys that have got a lot of pride um, and a bit of healthy ego too, to be to be honest. And I think you know they knew that they were coming up against the, you know, really the Fab Four, especially with Crowden back in, and Randall's been a great acquisition too for them. So you know, we just tested them and said, hey, hey, you blokes, if you're fair income, let's get to work and. And get inside and get the hands dirty. And I, I think for the for the majority, they they did a pretty good job. 
Yeah, it felt like you held sway after half time. You kind of got uh, a bit of momentum in the second quarter and, and it felt like you looked the most likely team to win um, after that. How long is it since your team has played that strongly? Because you've been a bit sketchy heading into the finals, haven't you? Yeah, a little bit. I think we've been building. Um, you know, we had a rough trot where we were we were all over the shop a little bit with the personnel issues. But, um, you know, we've been building solidly. And I, and I think it was a quite a pleasing three quarters. I was really disappointed with our first. I thought I thought our endeavour was okay, but it, it wasn't endeavour that was working with each other. We were sort of working in isolation. They got some really easy goals, I felt, you know, through their good play, but, but our disappointing play. So bit of a challenge at quarter time for him. I thought after that we, we got going. Another big game from Ollie Eastland in the ruck. Tell us about him and his season. Uh, tremendous. Dust, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people would have noticed it, the follow Waffle Footy. Um, probably what people wouldn't know is he did about a week of pre-season. He had some stress fractures in his back that he carried on from, from that marathon last year, obviously losing the grand final. So he carried that later in the year and was really modified. So to, to be able to physically do what he's done is something that I've really never seen in footy because he's shouldered the load unbelievably and, and we haven't got a lot of lot of tools to back him up. So, you know, his leadership, his footy, his durability has been outstanding. Ruckman liked to play that dominant role and have the bulk of the game on the ball. And it's almost like, I guess he had Jack Buller early in the season as a bit of ruck backup and, a, and ruck support, but now he's he's pretty much getting it done on his own, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And he, he's one of those guys, if you, if you shift his magnet somewhere else, he, he, almost, he almost looks at you to say, hey, I want more, um, <laughs> which is a great trade. It's, it's just that competitive instinct in him that he that he wants to contribute and wants to be the number one ruckman um yeah so yeah he has been a bit of a lone hand but he, he's up to the battle that's for sure and he's, he's going to have a hell of a battle again this weekend have you had to change anything since buller was drafted um ash because obviously he did give you that powerful target ahead of the ball and it was almost like you had to make yesterday a pretty do or tight sort of struggle because you don't have that that very authoritative target ahead of the ball now. Yeah, look, we've changed systemly. Everything we've done centre forward, you know, progressively during the year because, well, Max Manier was also... Now, Max played a lot with Buller um, previously, but he, he broke his foot and, and young Steve Miller, who was a developing tall did a really nasty hamstring. So it's been a little bit about Alex Manuel's deck hardesty going from a back backman to a forward um, and just some structural change around them and probably just how we're, we're moving the ball. We've probably got to be a little bit more measured centre forward and, and think about areas we can kick the ball that potentially those big, strong key defenders don't mark it. So... I think it's taken some time, but you can see you can see the boys slowly starting to adjust. Hardesty was pretty handy for you, wasn't he? Tell us a bit about him. Yeah, well, he's he's, a, he's probably probably our number one defender to be honest, and um, he's so coachable and he keeps it really simple. So he he just plays line of ball. He, he gives you a really good contest in the air. You know, if he doesn't if he doesn't mark it, he brings it to ground. So. He's had a good relationship and played a lot of footy with Alex Manuel, even though they've been up at the opposite end of the ground. They're, they're pretty tight and connected. and So it's a really sort of blue-collar forward mix at the moment. But, you know, he's, he's just trying to base their game on keeping that ball in our forward line um, and giving us a chance to score either by, by crumb goal or by forward stoppages. So 
oh, look, he's a ripper. He's, I think he's played 103 games for the footy club now and, and a great servant. And Anthony Davis, his ability to use the ball and for you to get something significant out of that, that, that looked like that became a factor in the game as it went on as well. I think what happens, Duff, is if you're getting the ball in your forward half and you're, and you're causing, causing that forward pressure, the ball coming out allows the likes of, of Anthony Davis and some of our half-backs to, to sort of read it a little bit more. So ideally, that's the blueprint we want to play. And it, it creates that dirty ball that, that good defenders can read and then mark and then counter back. Um, you know, and Davos, again, is another really young player that's learning his trade but getting better week by week. So how old is he, Ash? How old is Davis? You'd have to correct me. I think he's 21. Yeah, uh, he, yeah he, he may be. He might may have snuck up to the getting to that older older bracket of 22. But yeah, he's only a only a young man that's physically developing and 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 just learning the game exceptionally well. Because the way the game's played now, even at AFL level, a guy with the traits that he has would would have some uses, wouldn't he, at the higher level? Yeah, he would, Duff. We're sick of losing him. Um, no, we're not. We're not sick of, we're not sick of losing him. It's, it's part of the responsibility of a state league club. But, I, again, he's got ASL written all over him. Um, and like I said, he's physically developing. Um, probably a bit of a late bloomer. You know, you look at a Dan Curtin who's physically already at the level. Not every, not every human's going to be like that. So, Davo... He's coming into his own and, and his work ethic and his appetite to train has really, really gone north recently. So you can see that desire and I think he's absolutely AFL material. Question from Randall on the temperate bedshed text line, Ash. Um, how highly do you rate Daniel Curtin? Exceptionally high. Um, you know, and a few people have asked me, but I've been in the industry a while now, but humility and coachability at ASL level is, is, is absolutely everything. Um, he's got that in spades. And when you combine that with his natural ability that he's been given, so his football ability, his athletic ability, um, it's a really, it's a wonderful mix that I think, you know, you see your Pendlebury's, um, your Matt Rowles, Havlitches, et cetera, et cetera, have always, I felt, had that mix of humility and ability. Um, so I think with those two traits, he'll be an absolute superstar. So it was a pretty fierce game. There's a lot of physicality about it and a little bit of niggle. How did he cope with that? You used him sort of um, a, a, around the place a little bit, didn't you? He wasn't just a pure halfback yesterday. No, nah, he pushed forward at times too. And we were thinking of, of getting him in the midfield also. I think that's something we'd like to try and do at some stage because he's shown a capacity to do that. Um, yeah, look, I think the niggle and everything he, he actually really likes and embraces. He, he recently actually said he likes a bit of a, almost a bit of a punch in the in the guts from from a forward early in the game because it feels he feels it sort of fires him up a little bit. So again, I think he embraces it and he really seeks it and likes it. So again, I think he's got a big tick for his, his toughness and resilience too. Yep, and he's very very cool with ball in hand. Like he he reminds me a bit of. Obviously, a player already in the AFL, Matt Johnson. When there's traffic coming and tacklers coming, he keeps his keeps his head still and doesn't look like he's panicking too much. No, nah, it's a great trait. Um, yeah, so I think players have time, and he's got a lot of time with the ball, and he he's not afraid to stand up and fight the tackle also and free his arms. And with his power, he's able to break a lot of tackles too. So. You know, he reminds me a lot of Shannon Hearn. He's probably a, a little bit different in some respects, but I remember Shannon Hearn coming through the system at Peel Thunder. 
um, when I was coaching Claremont previously, and, and there's a little bit, little bit about him there too, but probably a little bit more, a little bit more athletic. Did you set Oliver Sheldrick for a role? Did he have a role to to limit um, Schumacher's influence on the game? It was just one we, we we started Ollie on the wing and, and we just sort of always felt that given the conditions again with his strong body it, that it'd be good to get him inside. So I think with Ollie you don't really need to you don't really need to set him a target. He naturally has a wee play on their mindset. So whoever he's on, he pays them a lot of respects and he he hunts them and he hunts the ball. So he's sort of a bit of a natural in that role. Um, but we did. We just sort of said, look, Ollie, I think you can go inside off the wing where you've been playing predominantly um, and give the boys a bit of a strong body. You know, and again, I thought he was another one of the lads that contributed really well yesterday. And you got, it felt like Jai Bolton got stronger as the game went on, didn't it? The, the longer it went, the more influence he had on the game. I think so. And again, you know, his durability and his strength um, over the ball and his running power. I think people probably don't underestimate his running power. You know, he moved up and down the ground exceptionally well. And, and we like Giles half-back, but we love him centre-forward, kicking the ball too. And he, he had his moment centre-forward. And again, without individualising too much, I thought he was really on a mission um, yesterday to, to help the boys get over the line. And I thought he played a really good role as a leader in that capacity. Tell us about the challenge that Subiaco poses this week. Yeah, look, it's big. I went and, went and watched them. And, you know, they're going to be a bit smarting after the after their loss to Peel, um, although I thought they were fantastic. You know, I think they tackled well and they were in the game. You know, virtually, well, they're probably unlucky not to win the game. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a humdinger, Gus. I think it'll be two teams that are that are really ruthless and pretty proud and, and both play a really strong contested brand. So, you know, it should be a good game. Should be a good game. Should be a great final series, Ash. Congratulations on the win yesterday and good luck in the finals going forward. Good on you, Dust. Thanks for having me. Ash Prescott, he is the coach of the Claremont Seniors. Of course, they beat East Perth by 12 points in a really rugged and ripping elimination final yesterday at Leederville Oval. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. We'll be back with more after the news. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. And, of course, we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. Well, a big night in cricket last night. Of course, Australia swept South Africa in the T20 series over there in South Africa. Mitchell Marsh, the star of that series with two massive knocks in games one and two. And, of course, the BBL and WBBL drafts held last night. The news for the Scorchers. Of course, Danny White and Sophie Devine will be the their WBBL stars. Laurie Evans and Zach Crawley for the Scorchers men's team. And we'll be talking to Scorchers star Alana King after the break. This is Mornings with Mark Duffield on SENWA. Alana King on a hat trick. Outstanding from the leggy. She missed out on one in the Commonwealth Games. Meg Lanning dropped one at slip. She has one in the 100. Yes, Alana King's hat-trick in the 100, of course, the English women's T20 competition. Big night overnight with the BBL and WBBL drafts taking place. We're going to talk to Alana about that now because she joins us on the show. Alana, welcome. 
Good morning, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, looking forward to another big WBBL season. Tell us about Danny Wyatt, who, of course, will be joining the Scorchers women's team. Oh, well, if, you, if you're up for fireworks, that's what Danny brings to the team. And, yeah, I'm stoked that she's... Uh, that Well, we picked her up in, in the draft and, yeah, looking forward to having her in Orange this year. So, obviously, you uh, obtained Annie, you retained Sophie Devine, you had to let Marizan Cap go. How big a loss will Marizan be? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, right? Like, I think uh, the Scorchers had the, the toughest decision to make out of all teams, so... Yeah, unfortunately, we couldn't keep both as though we'd love to. And, yeah, it'll be sad to see Cappy go. Um, she was a big part of what we what we had built over the last two years, especially the, the year that we won. But, um, yeah, sad to see her go, but great that we've got Soph back, um, our skipper's back, and she just offers so much to this group. So, Danny White and Sophie Devine, would you be looking to have them open the batting for you, Alana? Is that how it's going to work? Uh, to be quite honest with you, I'd have no idea, but I'm assuming that could be an opening combination. That's not my decision, and I'm glad that's not my decision because, um, yeah, I- I'm just going to sit back and watch the fireworks happen um, because we've got a pretty uh, pretty amazing opening partnership with, with Soph and Moons who have been doing that for years. So add Danny in the mix to that, I think. Yeah, it's going to be a force to reckon with, I reckon. Yep, you might need to wear a helmet if you're sitting somewhere near the boundary, <laughs> I suspect, because there'll be a few clearing the ropes. Hey, you were part of the Ashes campaign early in the year. How much fun was that? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we, we we were happy that we retained it. Um, we would have loved to win it, but, yeah, I think retaining it um, was was part of the, the process as well and I think the the Ashes was just a great spectacle I think we played some really good cricket and so did England and it just showed two uh, two powerhouses going head to head and just brought the best out of each other so uh, great to be part of it, great to be bringing the urn back home that's for sure and yeah it was, a, it was an awesome time being part of the Ashes. I was going to say what was it like being there with obviously both the, the women's and the men's team playing and the whole country caught up in because Ashes is now the biggest thing in cricket really isn't it? Yeah there was a massive buzz around the whole country and um, there was a fair bit of crossover as well so uh, it, we tried to get to some of the men's games but obviously schedule scheduling doesn't always work in your favour but yeah, I think having both the men's and women's ashes um, together in the in the one country was was something that was pretty special. And as I said, there was lots of buzz around the country, and everyone was keeping tabs whether you were at the women's game, what what was happening at the men's game, and vice versa. Um, both both ashes campaigns were very entertaining, and um, yeah, uh, as an Aussie, uh, it was great to have both of them back on Aussie soil. So speaking of entertaining and men's, the obviously the BBL draft took place last night as well, and the Scorchers picked up Zach Crawley as one of the baseball men. So that's going to be pretty exciting for Scorchers fans. Oh, absolutely. And I think he's going to really suit the Australian wickets, especially over at Optus, nice bouncy wickets, and he's a pretty tall bloke. So um, expect plenty of boundaries from Zach, and it's great to have um, Laurie as well back in Orange. Um, we had him a couple of years ago, so... Yeah, I see this. The men's and women's are trying to do pretty much similar things and trying to keep the core group of WA players um, together. And then, yeah, add in what add in what we need to top up in our list. And I think both teams have done that exceptionally well in the draft last night. What's going to be the key for the Scorchers WBBL team? Do you think, Alana? 
Oh, I think like every other team, I think we've just got to take one game at a time um, and don't lose the fact of enjoying enjoying ourselves. I think this is a best competition in the world and, and we love playing it. So I think it's just going to be an exciting time. Uh, the whole draft has created a new dimension to the game. So, yeah, I think it's about who can adapt quick, quickly and gel as a team quickly, but most importantly, just have fun um, and, and show off your skills, I guess. So, uh, yeah, I think every team will be doing the same, but, yeah, the Scorchers would, would like to be building a bit more, obviously missing out on finals last year. So uh, that that will be probably top top of the list in, in getting back in those final series. Looking at the teams, who do you think is going to be the biggest threat? Oh, geez, I think I think every team's going to be a threat, to be honest. Um, every team has picked up some absolute gun all-rounders last night. So, oh, yeah, it's pretty hard to say now. I think once every team has completed the list, then you can really have a look at who's got, got a good list. But um, as the old saying goes, it's only as good as on paper. So... Uh, what happens on the field determines whether you, uh, you you lift the trophy or not. So, uh, yeah, I think for us, we'll probably more likely just look look towards ourselves and making sure that we, we top up where we need to in terms of whether we get another overseas signing or, or we sign some some more local players. So, yeah, I think the, the focus will be more on what we can do better as a team to, to get us to, the, to that last game of the WBBL. The Women's World Cup has just finished the um, soccer I'm talking about. And obviously there's a lot of momentum generated for women's sport at the moment in the country. Is there an opportunity here for, I mean, cricket, women's cricket has come so far in the last 20 years, but there is, is there another opportunity for another spike, do you think, given the momentum that's pushing towards women's sport at the moment? Absolutely. I think, yeah, what the Matildas did was, was unbelievable and I was abroad for the whole World Cup but to have for me to be following the World Cup from abroad and be really invested in it just shows uh, what having a home World Cup did and for the Matildas and just for soccer in Australia as well so the the more you can see people on TV and the more you can see women's sport on TV it's just going to create more traction and, and more viewership and that's what we wanted and cricket's done that um not just in the WBBL, but with the Australian team as well. You saw back in 2020 when they filled the G um, for the women's final. That was incredible. And the Matildas are doing the same thing now from the soccer part of, um, point of view. So I, I'm not surprised because I think it, it deserves to have all the accolades to go with it and the records to be broken. So um, I, I just think this is just the start and it's just going to keep getting better and better as, as you see more um, on TV. Did you see a spike in young girls picking up cricket after that T- T20 World Cup in 2020? Oh, 100% I did. And I started to notice um, young kids, not just girls, but boys as well, recognising the women's players, um, especially during the Big Bash. They know you by name. They've got your cards and they want you to sign their, their playing cards. They're, they're really invested now and it's great to see. And, yeah, I think that's, that's just a credit to what the Australian women's cricket team have done for just a number of years, um, and that's paved the way for, for more young boys and girls to pick up a bat and ball. Why did you choose leg spin, Alana? <laughs> uh, look, I was probably a bit nuts at the time. Um, I was like every other junior kid who just wanted to bowl fast, and I'm not the stature to bowl uh, quick, so uh, tried my hand in off spin. It didn't really suit me, so my brother introduced me to leg spin because he bowled a little bit at off that as a junior and then once I started doing that I was introduced 
to to the uh, great Warney on screens and just saw what he used to do, and I'm like, Jesus looks fun, so I'm going to stick at it. But uh, yeah, didn't know what I was getting myself into, to be quite honest. You like Warney? You talk to the umpires, sort of try and convince them what you're doing and t- <laughs> tell them what you're going to bowl next and what how they should be umpiring that ball. Oh, no, no, I'll leave the umpires to their job. They've got a job to do, so you can only ask the question. Alana, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Good luck for the upcoming season. Good luck, especially for the WBBL season. And uh, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. Have a great day. Alana King, of course, star of the Scorchers WBBL team and also the Australian women's team as well. Fantastic to have us uh, have her with us on the show. We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Ute. You can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back with more after the break. The Eastram Annal Sharks theme song, of course. They will be playing Peel Thunder in a big waffle second semi-final this weekend. But they are also the subject of a salary cap investigation by the West Australian Football Commission. And joining us on the show to talk about that is the Eastram Annal President, Mark Stewart. Mark, welcome. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Now, can you tell us what what is happening here? As we understand it, the subject of this is some superannuation payments and some potential trophies that might not have been included or properly included in your in your salary cap. Is that right? Yeah, I, I can't go into each and every detail because the audit is still ongoing. Um, but what I can say, you know, talking to the, the, the press release that we gave over the weekend, is there's some administrative errors. Um, that uh, we're talking through with the Commission on and uh, addressing. Will these errors be the subject of a hearing at some stage, Mark? Like, how does it proceed? What's the process that will be followed here? Well, yeah, that, yeah, that process is still ongoing. Um, once the audit finished, we'll get notified, no doubt. I'd expect that uh, we'd meet with the Commission um, and you know, be asked some more questions and, and, and go through the process. And what what sort of time frame are we talking about? Uh, is this going to happen in season or at the end of the season? When? I don't know. I've never been through this process before. Um, but yeah, it's like any audit in any organisation. Audits can take you know, several weeks, sometimes longer. Now, clearly, you are part of a final series at the moment, um, and this is your uh, well, you were in the finals last year, but you've got a real crack at it, having won the minor premiership. Is there any concern yeah. that this will disrupt your finals campaign? Not at all. If you look at uh, this year, I think it was the club and the player groups handled uh, adversity well. We haven't had a home all year. You know, the women won a premiership. As you said, the boys are finished on top. You know, this is uh, just a bit more adversity. The, 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 the club thrives uh, in these situations. Is this a breach that was pointed out to you and the club, Mark, or is this a breach that you found and reported to the commission? You're saying absolute point blank that there was no attempt to seek a competitive advantage over the competition with these breaches? 100%. 
Has the Commission given you any indication as to what penalties might apply if you're found guilty of salary cap breaches? Clearly, there's a precedent in place from earlier this year where South Fremantle were pinged eight premiership points. No, nah, well, the, the audit's still un, un, uh, underway, so it's not until the audit's finished that, that you have that conversation. So, um, you know, it's probably got a, a few more weeks to go yet, uh, and then we, yeah, we, we move to that phase. Are you concerned that you might be the subject of these penalties going forward, maybe for the 2024 season? Oh, you're always concerned um, with these sort of things, but at the end of the day, you can only deal with that, the cards that you're handed and uh, will act appropriately. So clearly the rules on this are pretty clear, and as I understand it, the superannuation aspect of this is something that was paid twice but only recorded once. How does an error like that happen? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we're actually just drilling down looking at our processes now, um, and that will, that will, the outcome of that will be to, to do that differently. Is there a concern that someone at the club will be held accountable for this? We're currently addressing this issue. Uh, what we want to do is get the processes right. Um, you know, staff have reviews uh, regularly. Um, at the end of the day, what we want to do is address this issue with the Commission. And how have the Commission been to deal with on this? Are they understanding or are they um, questioning your conduct? No, they've been very good. Michael Roberts and his team have been very good. Um, you know, they've asked the questions. We've supplied the information. Um, I, I can't fault them at all. Okay. Um, is there any real excuse for a waffle club not following the right processes on salary cap reporting and income reporting for their players? Yeah, no, there's, there's no excuse. Um, what we have to do is we have to learn from this. We need to get better, uh, improve our processes uh, and uh, make sure it doesn't happen again. Tell us about, uh, let's get back onto footy. Tell us about the excitement building at the club for a second semi-final that can set you up from a real, for a real tilt at the flag, basically. Oh, it's a great opportunity. And, and you know, yeah, talking to a number of the senior players that have been around a while, like you know, the skipper and Cam Erdley, you know, those guys you know, have given so much to our footy club and for these guys to be in a position where you know, we've got a, a cracking final this week and, uh, you know, they ultimately know what the prize is and uh, to, you know, that, that's what we're all playing for and that's what we want everyone to get around and get down to Fremantle Oval. I, I never thought I'd be saying that for a home game, but yeah, get down to Fremantle Oval and uh, support the Blue and White. What's your record like at Fremantle Oval? I know you won a derby there this year, but there wasn't much good up until then, was it? Well, we, we've won the last four there. The, uh, the league's <laughs> one, the reserves one, the Colts one and the girls one. So we've, we've got a pretty good record. <laughs> I'm talking about your league team, Mark. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking about results. <laughs> Do you get any benefit out of playing the, the two games in the final series last year? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about experience and, you know, equipping people, equipping the players. You know, you know they thrive in it, they love it. And uh, I'm just think it's a great opportunity for the club. You know, we're, we're in a great period. We're going to have a new facility shortly. And, uh, you know, all, all is looking well for the future of the Sharks. What's the time frame for that new facility? When will that be finished? Um, yeah, we're expecting to be playing games there next year. Yeah, there's some suggestion the first quarter of next year, so yeah, whether we play the first few away, it'd be great to have another game in Geraldton. And uh, on the subject of Geraldton, I hope you, uh, you talk about that today. Yeah, Northampton uh, won the first premiership in 18 years against railways, and uh, yeah, it's a part of our, our district and the work that we do up there. Yeah, we're really proud of that. So uh, to have a new facility, not only to look after our people in the, in the metro, but to actually help the country uh, focus all would be great. 
Yes, of course, Northampton beat Railways. Railways on the scoreboard were ahead by a point when the siren went, but the goal umpires who officially keep the score confirmed that the scores were actually level, went into extra time, and Northampton managed to win. And, of course, that meant Josh Kennedy and Harry Taylor won premierships for their uh, hometown, which was a dream come true for both of them. It just seems that... Yeah, it was, it was, it was one of our board members, uh, he took a contingent of people up there to watch it and uh, they said it was a cracking game of football and very confusing at the end, but uh, no doubt uh, Northampton would be probably still celebrating. Seems accounting is a bit of a problem at Eastern Mantle at the moment, Mark. Oh, we won't count the scoreboard. <laughs> so, mate, just back on the salary cap thing, is it right that one of the players involved in this was a player that didn't actually play for Eastern Mantle in the 2022 season, which is the season this refers to, that basically he ended up as an SSP player at West Coast and therefore didn't take part in the season for you? Yeah, we're just working through the detail again. A lot of this stuff is how it's reported. And again, you know, what we want to do, I'm not going to go into the specifics of each issue, but a lot of this comes down to how we report it and the way it needs to be done. Again, it's going to be a learning curve um, for the team going forward in, in making sure we exceed the expectations that's required around this issue. So are you happy with the process that the WAC has in place for an issue like this? Absolutely. As I said, Michael Roberts and his team have been very good to deal with. Um, I think you know, what you've got, as much as these things aren't great, it's going to be a, a learning, um, no doubt, for our club, but uh, for other clubs. And uh, I think you know, the commission go away and they look at how they do it. And you know, at the end of the day, we've got to make sure football becomes better out of these sort of things. Yes, we do. Of course, in a professional league like the WAFL, it is... Uh probably fairly unacceptable, I think, that uh, breaches, even accidental breaches like this can occur. Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the show and coming on and putting your club's position on this. And uh, all the best in the second semi-final against Peel this weekend. That's Eastern Mantle President Mark Stewart, of course, joining us to talk through those alleged salary cap breaches or irregularities in the way they were reporting their salary cap, which is under investigation by the WA Football Commission as we speak. What do you think? You can have your say on the temper at Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736. You can give us a call on the open line on 13 12 We are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu U and you can live your own way in the seven-seater Isuzu MUX. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back with more after the break. Um, and yeah, just super excited to start the season off with a win. Uh, a couple of girls in for their first game, and yeah, it's always good to, to kickstart a season with a yeah, couple of points on the board. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I guess she's had such an impact on the group in, in obviously a pretty short period of time. So yeah, we really wanted to go out there and probably didn't get to, to showcase a lot of the work we did in the preseason, just in the style of game it was. But yeah, just to get the win and get over the line is the most important bit. Yes, that was Fremantle AFLW star Anya Tai, one of the stars of the AFLW Derby down there at Fremantle Oval, of course, talking about the win over the West Coast Eagles and the impact that new coach Lisa Webb has had on the group. Joining me on the show to talk through that game, a tough and tight encounter in difficult position uh, conditions down there at Fremantle Oval. Eliza Riley from Code Sports joins us. Eliza, welcome. Morning, Dolph. Definitely good to have AFLW back. Yeah, it was great. It was a really tight, tough encounter. Tell us what you learnt out of it. To be honest, it's pretty 
pretty hard to get a gauge on both of those teams given the conditions the game was played in. It was very windy. We had a massive downpour before the game and during the second quarter as well, which sort of, you know, made the ball a bit slippery and hard to handle, although that wasn't a problem for Anyatai kicking that remarkable um, dribble goal on the outside of her boot in the second quarter. Early nomination for goal of the year there, but... To be honest, it was a pressure game. The Eagles applied a lot of pressure and so did the Dockers. It was a bit scrappy. It wasn't the best sort of um, game to watch, but there was a lot of, you know, individual moments of brilliance and hard-hitting contests, which you expect from a derby. So you've seen these teams play their pre-season matches. Is the game we saw yesterday the style of play we can expect to see from these two teams or is this just what a derby brings and what the conditions bring? No, I'm definitely expecting a different sort of brand than what we saw yesterday from both teams. What we saw from the Dockers in the pre-season was you know, a skillful brand of footy, a fast, quick brand of footy, changing lanes, um, hitting up short kicks around the ground. That was just too hard to sort of do in the conditions yesterday. And the Eagles were a little bit more free-flowing as well in their practice match against Essendon. Got the ball a bit deeper and into more dangerous positions inside 50 um, to the benefit of their forwards. Whereas the wind, the conditions, just really struggling to get those dangerous kicks inside 50 probably crawled both sides in the scoring in the end. Yeah, I really loved the physicality of West Coast. Now, clearly, when you're the underdog in one of these games and you haven't beaten the opponent, you've kind of got to bring that, I know that, and make yourself the hunter and then the hunted. But um, I felt in the in the second and third quarters in particular, it felt like West Coast had the better of the physical side of the game. Yeah, definitely. Young, um, excitable kids wanting to get stuck in and give one to the older sister in town who's, we know, now won the sixth straight derby since the Eagles came into the competition. But I think that's an indication of just how hard the Eagles have worked during this pre-season. I mean, I've watched a couple of their training sessions and they work them really hard, um, both on the track and in the gym. And you can see that with the way some of them have come back from the off-season into the pre-season and now playing games. Bella Lewis looks like she's put on a bit of size and muscle and sort of went head-to-head with Hayley Miller and kept her pretty quiet. Emma Swanson's known for that physicality. That's what she's always brought. And then Courtney Rowley as well, a bit of a young emerging midfielder, usually plays out on the wing, um, given she is quite small and slight. But she's put on a bit of bulk as well and is pushing for an inside midfield berth. Yeah, and Amy Franklin looks bigger and stronger as well, having shifted across from Fremantle to West Coast. Yeah, Frankie, sort of, there was a bit of um, speculation during the week about whether she'd face her old side. Has had a little bit of an interrupted pre-season, experiencing a um, bit of shin soreness that limited her to a half in West Coast practice match over Essendon. But she was out there, kicked the gold against her old club, which would have been a pretty exciting moment for her. Tell us about Anya Ty and just how good she could be. Someone who's that tall in AFLW, who is as mobile as she is, can take marks and kicks the ball about 55 metres. Yeah, she was massive yesterday. And both of her goals were sort of miracle goals, which gives you an indication of if she gets a little bit better service and cleaner conditions, what she could do. But she is can boot the ball um, super far, kick that kicked it inside 50 in the first couple of minutes of the game and then followed up and kicked the goal off the ground on, on her back, which is quite remarkable. Then she did that dribble goal in the second quarter, which was spoken about. I don't know how she managed to get the ball to bend that way in the wet and slippery conditions. 
but she is someone who, at age 31, she really should be at the twilight of her career, but in reality, she's just getting started. She came over from Ireland, suffered two really serious knee injuries, including the two ACLs before she even played a game, so she had to overcome that. And then she's just been getting better and better each season, and this could be the season where she really does explode. So where is Fremantle's room for improvement? Obviously, they've been a contender in some AFLW seasons, slipped off the pace in the last season. Where do you see them uh, improving to get back into contention, Eliza? It probably is that forward line and that midfield connection, just trying to find a few more avenues to goal, um, which they thought they'd worked on over pre-season and was probably at its best in that match simulation against West Coast when they piled on 70, 80-odd points. They do have a few threats up there. You know, Megan Kaufman and Dan East, they're going to sort of play a split midfield forward role and roll through both lines. On your tie, it's probably going to be that focal point. Um, so defenders are going to have a hard time playing on her. But around that, they sort of need to find if there is a second tall option. Sarah Wilshire played it yesterday, as she has done over three seasons. Probably didn't have a massive impact, but she's only someone as well who's relatively new to footy, has only really played the two or three games at AFLW level before suffering a pretty bad knee injury last year. So she'll build into it, um, but it's probably just finding a few more avenues to go instead of Anya. And obviously, Ebony Antonio has kind of been their Ms. Fix-It over the pretty much the duration of the AFLW. How will they use her? She seemed to spend a fair bit of time up forward yesterday. Is that the role for her, or will she be playing the wing role as she had uh, has, has done in the past? I expect her to probably spend a little bit more time on the wing as she gains a bit of fitness, because the thing with Ebony is she has pretty much missed the entire pre-season due to a knee surgery she had a bit earlier this year. She's had to come back the hard way, sort of fight through to get her place in round one. Um, Didn't play any of the practice matches and was touch and go um, this week. But she's been training. She's um, close to full fitness, but probably just that game match fitness is the thing that's going to come once she does spend a bit more time on the ground. So she's very valuable up forward. Um, You speak about finding that second tall option. She kicked the goal and sort of, you know, shoved off two or three West Coast defenders and steamed into an open goal. So she could play that role, but she is so, so valuable on the wing and athletic and strong. And I think that's probably where you want to get the run out of her. Um, But she can be valuable pretty much anywhere you put her on the park. We're going to talk about West Coast, but one more question on Fremantle before we get to West Coast. Um, The impact of coach Lisa Webb. Did you see it yesterday? Obviously, it was a different game because of the conditions and the fact that it's a high-pressure derby. but, But are you seeing the impact she's had on the group? Certainly in terms of the communication style and just the the sort of fresh face, the players have sort of lauded how she's been able to bring them together, um, sort of be, you know, mix that humour, find that mix of humour and also knowing when to take it seriously. It was a bit hard to sort of see the impact of her um, game plan and playing style given the conditions as we've spoken about. But I think certainly um, just sort of getting the group ready to go uh, and bringing that sort of fresh energy. Now, Ella Roberts was an absolute standout for West Coast yesterday. Tell us about her. She's only a teenager, uh, one of the brightest prospects in the AFLW, and it it feels like a, a team that's been crying out for a star now has one. 
Yeah, we saw glimpses of Ella's talents last season and got nominated for a rising star and was in contention for that award, which eventually went to Port Adelaide's Hannah Ewings. But she's come back, done a whole other pre-season and just looks the part of a star AFLW footballer. Um, she won the Derby medal. She had 24 touches, um, went into the midfield as well and had the five clearances sort of playing on ball. But she is so valuable as a key forward as well. And that focal point up forward for West Coast couldn't quite get her finishing going. She had a few really tough chances and kicked the two points. But if you're Michael Pryor, you're thinking, God, I wish I had two Ella Roberts. I could stick one on ball and one up forward. So clearly they're aiming to improve. They want to contend for finals. Where do you see that improvement coming from for West Coast? Pretty much all around the park. Um, The defence was a bit leaky last season. Um, You know, had a few sort of lapses within games where teams would pile on, you know, five or six goals and it would sort of be game over from there. So that four-quarter effort's going to be really important for West Coast this year and managing to maintain um, their performances across an entire game instead of having, you know, a good half or a good quarter here and there. Their slow starts was also an issue last year. They didn't um, only won, I think it was the one first quarter in the entire season. So getting out of the blocks has um, been an issue for them. They didn't quite convert yesterday, but I felt like they created themselves a few opportunities, just couldn't find the the goals. So it's pretty much across the board. Their midfield is pretty strong with the likes of Ash Mack, Emma Swanson, Bella Lewis. But it's the sort of bookends, scoring and defending, that are going to see them improve the most. Yeah, and and the, the use of Ella Roberts is going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because as you mentioned, if you were Michael Pryor, you'd love to have two of them. And so how he allocates time for her, because I suspect there are going to be times where he needs her in the middle and there are going to be times when he needs the, um, um, the spearhead in attack. They want to climb the ladder. Are you confident that they can, Eliza? I think finals is going to be maybe a bridge too far. I will reserve my judgment for maybe one or two more games just to see how they compete in better conditions. But, you know, to to nearly get the win over Fremantle first up is a pretty good side, but derbies have been generally pretty tight in the past two years. So I think they can certainly improve on what they did last year, and that's, you know, only the two wins in um, the 10-week season. So I certainly think they will improve on that margin. But they do have a very easy sort of draw as well to reflect what they did last season. So there's probably no reason why they shouldn't um, make finals. They should really be pushing for that given the draw they have. But it's just going to be whether they have improved enough over this preseason. And they are one of the youngest loose in the comp. So it's going to be whether the kids can stand up. So you've seen every team play now in round one. Who impressed you the most and who are the teams to beat, do you think? I can't go past Melbourne on Friday night. They're reigning premiers, as we know, but they've kept the majority of their list together over the off-season. Just really lost Daisy Pearce, which is you know a massive out in terms of leadership, um, but she's someone who, you know, there's a couple of young girls coming through the system now that are trying to fill that role and um, have an impact up forward. So they, the Demons, probably Collingwood had the better of them in the first half, but then they came out after halftime and absolutely dominated that game of football, including a five-goal third term, just to completely rip it away from the Magpies. So ultra-impressive from Melbourne. 
But the other one to keep an eye on, I reckon, is Geelong. They beat the Bulldogs by 48 points. They're a similar um, sort of young, up-and-coming team, but they have a few absolute outright stars with the likes of Georgie Pasparkas having one of the better games of the weekend with 34 touches and nine clearances and 11 tackles. So they have some outright stars who could take them a long way this season. Yeah, fascinating thing to watch, I reckon, on the weekend was the standard of play because this is an evolving competition. I thought the Brisbane-Richmond game was a real high-quality game and one of the better games of AFLW I've seen. And even when the game got tense and tight late in the game, the girls were still taking it on and, and, and pulling together chains of possession that we haven't seen that often in the past. So I get the feeling we're seeing continued improvement in the standard of the competition as well. Yeah, certainly. Having that year off, essentially, between the two seasons, we wanted the teams to come back and really, I guess, frank that with some significant improvement in terms of the skills and the scoring. And in round one, um, we had the highest aggregate score for a round one of AFW, I think, that's ever been recorded. So that's probably a fairly good indication that scoring is on the improve. They've made a few rule tweaks to the AFW as well with the likes of longer quarters and an interchange cap, which was sort of has the aim of, you know, tiring players out and opening the game up a bit more. So I think with those things in place, plus that natural evolution of the younger players and um, the competition, it should is shaping as a really exciting season. Absolutely. And uh, do you get the feeling that the Matildas have given women's sport a massive momentum boost and that other women's sporting competitions are able to cash in on that. Are you detecting that about the AFLW? Well, see, judging by the line that was at Fremantle over yesterday of people trying to get into the ground, at one stage it apparently stretched around to Fremantle Hospital, um, (laughs) which is remarkable to think whether it was they didn't prepare for that many people or they just... We're doing a bit more screening, whatever. I don't really know, but there was, you know, sort of 4,000, took under 4,000 people at the Derby yesterday. We had 8,000 people there on Friday night to kick off the season. There certainly is a lot of excitement around women's sport and, you know, it is probably more spread out than the Matildas given, you know, there is 18 teams to support. But the early signs are there and it's just going to be a matter of keeping that momentum going with some really entertaining contests and games. Yep, couldn't agree with you more. And I think the weather yesterday to get that crowd in that weather, I think, was a pretty pretty good effort um, for the AFLW. Eliza, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Look forward to reading your stuff about AFLW and AFL and Code Sports. And uh, thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Beth. Eliza Riley, you can read her stuff on Code Sports. And she joins us. And Alana Kings joins us, uh, joined us earlier. Also, thanks to MEGT Women in Trades. Advance your workforce with female tradie power. Visit megt.com.au. We'll be back with more after the break. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Paul Heath, my producer, is shedding tears opposite me. And, Paul, this is why. Uh, Jimmy Buffett passed away. Good night, sweet prince. Yeah. It's a tough loss over the weekend. Age of? 76. 76. Yeah. Yep. Good time. Good time guy, Jimmy Buffett. Was he? Good time songs. One yep. of your favourites? Oh, he's, he's up there. Yeah. Just one you could rely on, old Jimmy. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that's why I've got no tears left to cry about the AFL Grand Final um, entertainment that we've had announced today as well, Duff. Kiss. Yeah, lock In up. 2023. Lock, lock up your grandmothers. <laughs> Kiss. Kiss is coming uh, to town. Yeah. Um, you would have been, were you old enough to see much or anything of Kiss? When, uh, they, when they were big. I yeah. Mean, when big. Not when they were in decline, which they have been for 35 years. Yeah, well, yeah <laughs> definitely there for the decline, I think. Yeah, that's it. But, um, yeah, an interesting one from uh, AFL House yet again. So around about when I was in year 12 at Narragin Senior High School, yes. I was made for loving you was mm. the to put it crudely, the duck's nut of all, <laughs> of all rock and roll songs. That was uh, that yeah. was the one. Fantastic. Um, um, back in those days, there was a lot of young country boys walking around contemplating wearing makeup. Yeah, so. okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> they almost changed the world. <laughs> uh, Tony from Woodvale's got a text uh, before we head to news and on to Brett Phillips saying, hey, Duff, the umpiring yesterday's game was disgraceful and the most biased towards Claremont you could ever see and they need to be held accountable for it. They may as well have had Claremont jumpers on. I think... In fairness to the umpires, mm. I think the game was very physical. There was a lot of niggle, and I felt that Claremont retained their focus on the footy better than East Perth did. East Perth got a bit arm-swingy with tackles, yeah. and they coughed up two goals because of that. One was clearly a high free and one was marginal, mm. but it was a swinging arm into high on the body, so it's not hard to see why the umpire was going to see it as, as high contact. Um, it was probably top of shoulder as opposed to around the neck. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was certainly Claremont got a run of freeze, but I didn't see any of them that were obviously not there. It was mm. just the numbers. Uh, and that probably indicates that the Claremont handled the physicality of the game yeah. and were able to strike the balance between being physical and stay focused on the ball, whereas East Perth got a bit carried away with the physical side of it. There's another one here as well. Justin from Mount Lawley saying, umpiring wasn't great yesterday, but the Royals players were quite undisciplined. What you're saying there, Duff, why aren't players taught to tackle properly these days as well? They're just lunging around. Yeah, well, I think East Perth's been a pretty good team for most of the year. It was just that probably the moment yeah. They haven't played finals for a while. Yeah. They the, the tempo goes up. Um, you know, players just don't concede anything, mm-hmm. and uh, and sometimes it's hard to to maintain your focus and get you get a bit caught up in it. But well done to the Royals. Hopefully, something for them to build on into next year. You can keep those texts coming through on the temper at Bedshed text line on oh four eight seven seven three six seven three six. And we are, as always, brought to you by Isuzu Utes. You can live your own way in the Isuzu D-Max. See your Isuzu Ute dealer today. We'll be back with more after the news. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. The sun's starting to break through the clouds. We've got a break in the rain. Hopefully the spring weather is starting to hit. Well, the US Open is continuing at Flushing Meadow in New York and covering it, of course, for us on SEN is Brett Phillips. Brett, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Good morning. Uh, Novak Djokovic just closing in on victory here against Borna Gogo of Croatia. A real surprise packet in the fourth round, but the 23-time major champion who uh, was certainly in a little bit of strife in the second set, he managed to claw his way at 7-5, and he's now putting the foot uh, to the floor now. So he's only perhaps moments away from uh, booking his spot in a 
another uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal. I've lost count, Mark. It's been a long, long uh, history of making quarterfinals at the majors, and this is his 17th uh, US Open. And the man that will await him is the American, uh, Taylor Fritz. He's the highest-ranked American. There's a big production line of them, and there's a few that are through deep into the second week. Uh, but Fritz will be, uh, yeah, the likely uh, next opponent. And, of course, uh, Rinky Hijikata out after being beaten in straight sets by Francis Tiafo. Yeah, unfortunately, it came to an end today. Probably no surprise. This was a, a big step up for Rinky. He's played three terrific matches, and he's got his ranking inside the top 100 for the first time. And I believe he will be become a permanent top 100 player. He's got enough tools, and the scary part is he's still a work in progress. And he admitted that today in press, that I've got a lot to work on. Uh, because you go up against a guy who's 10 in the world and, uh, gee, it's another level in terms of his ball striking. You know, 15 aces for Tiafo today. He can get those free points, which is so beneficial. And it was just another step up in terms of the power. Uh, so Rinky will go away and get stronger. And he's not a big guy in stature. I think there's only Sebastian Baez of Argentina who's smaller on the tour. Uh, but you know, getting yourself to 80 in the world means you can play some better tournaments. You get into the Grand Slam, so he's got to try and consolidate that ranking now and keep it between, say, 75 and 100 as the first priority to tick off and then just incrementally uh, build through 2024. But, yeah, look, a couple of tight sets, 6-4, 6-4, is a, a bit of a lopsided set in the middle, and he did break the serve in that third set, but yeah, I think he can hold his head high. He had a, a really, really encouraging week. You mentioned that Taylor Fritz is the highest ranked of the Americans, but there's a pretty strong showing by the Americans here at this tournament, isn't there? You've got Tiafo goes through to a quarter uh, final and he plays uh, Ben Shelton, another American. That is going to be one of the matches of the year, I think. Now, Tiafo is obviously a great entertainer, but he's become a hard-nosed tennis player. Wayne Ferreira, uh, the former South African player, a couple of semis at the Australian Open, these two, you couldn't get more chalk and cheese in terms of their personality and their makeup, but they seem to just make a great team because uh, Wayne has sort of harnessed uh, the flamboyant nature of Francis and just added the, the tougher mental edge to say, come on, you've got all this talent, let's fulfil it. And where he is is where they wanted to be when he took over uh, Francis. Up against a guy, Ben Shelton, now this, is, this guy's a showman. He's an absolute showman, but he's a magnificent tennis player. Made the quarterfinals of the Australian Open earlier this year, for those that remember. And he's got a huge serve. Mark, two of them today at 239 kilometres an hour, whistling past Tommy Paul's earlobes. He's a lefty, and he celebrates every shot uh, like he's won the title. I mean, it's, it's, it's not. It's, 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 there's no sort of, oh, this guy's a bit too showy, we don't like him. It's not that. It's just a guy who's enjoying his tennis, and he loves the crowd to come on the ride with him. So that is going to be an absolute blockbuster. I suggest it'll probably be under lights in a couple of days on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Is there a mini boom going on in American men's tennis at the moment, um, Brett? Yeah, listen, certainly I think you know, the most inside the top 100 that there has been for a while, and I think that number is in double figures. You know, they haven't had a Grand Slam champion since uh, since Roddick in 2003, so there's been a fair drought, a bit like the French mark. I mean, you know, it's been 40 years since anyone's won their home open, but they've had all these great, talented players. And they've, you know, both the US and France have got 
you know, a tennis system uh, that is full of depth and talent and, you know, courtesy of their population and tennis being so popular. But they've got to turn one of these into a Grand Slam champion. So have they got that hard edge to get through uh, to a final and win it? Uh, that remains to be seen. But, yeah, they've got no shortage of players, that's for sure. All eyes on Alex Demonor tonight. Tell us about his battle against Daniel Medvedev. Yeah, I'm excited by it. I, I've never felt more positive as someone that's you know followed Alex for a long time and been on this journey. And you know what he's done, I think he's deserved far more kudos from the Australian tennis public and media. To be honest, I think a lot of the attention has been too much on Nick Kyrgios across the journey. But this young man has diligently worked at his game. He's a he's born to play tennis. He's born to be a competitor. He's uh, been knocking on the door for a little while. He's um, he's put on some extra size. He's got to getting more pop on his serve. His last two matches, you know, he's won emphatically. I've never seen him win back-to-back matches like that, where he's not given his opponent a look in at all. He could be top 10 by the end of the year. And the last 12 months, he's beaten good players, including Medvedev twice. Recently in Toronto, when Alex made the Masters 1000, finally beat him at quarters. So that's a great memory to have. Yes, he's a US Open champion, Mark. Uh, he loves a hard court, and he will start as the favourite because of what he's achieved in the sport. But if Alex can rattle his cage early and get in his face and return a lot of balls and just make life uncomfortable, I think Demonor is right in this match. I think his level of play, I've never seen him play better this week. So in terms of surfaces and which ones favour Demonor, is this his best surface, the hard court? Absolutely, yeah. His best record is here and the Australian Open. Yeah, and, and it's funny because he, you know, he grew up on clay uh, predominantly. <laughs> you know, as a young boy, the family were in Sydney, then they moved back because his mum's Spanish, and they moved back to Spain to Alicante, and he grew up a lot on clay, but uh, he hasn't had his best results at the French. Uh, it, it's come on the hard courts of Melbourne Park, where he, he loves that sort of home court advantage in the crowd, and he loves playing in New York. It, uh, it gets the best out of him. What about on the women's side of the draw? What's happening there, Brett? Yeah, we had a couple of great matches uh, today. Uh, Carolina Mukova, I mean, I think she's almost the most watchable player on the WTA Tour. She made the French Open final this year. She's made an Australian Open semi, two quarters at Wimbledon. Now she's into the quarters of the US Open. Tenth seed, got a beautiful all-court game. I'll never forget a few years ago, she was 240 in the world and played Ash Barty at the US Open. And Barty came in after playing her and said, this girl will be good. It was like watching, It was like playing herself in the mirror. This is how Mukova plays the game. Beautiful volleyer, all court. She slices, she plays the drop shot. Uh, she's just a magnificent player to watch. And, yeah, she had to win uh, in tough fashion today. She's going to take on Serena Castella, who last made a quarterfinal in Paris about 14 years ago. So the 33-year-old in uh, back in uh, familiar territory, but it's been a long time between drinks. And, yeah, Coco Goff uh, today, Mark, beating uh, Caroline Wozniacki. So the fairy tale comes to an end and uh, what first Grand Slam back in three and a half years uh, but Coco down the stretch of that match was too good and yeah awaiting the winner of Iga Sviontek the world number one and Yelena Rostenko which will follow uh, the Djokovic match and as I speak to you Mark he has a couple of match points so Ostapenko in fact has beaten Sviontek three out of three so maybe the world number one uh, it's the biggest danger she's going to face for the tournament uh, coming up very shortly. Who do you like for the title? Oh, look, it's it's hard for me. I said from the start, it's hard for me to go past Djokovic right now. And I know Alcaraz comes in as the defending champion, but I've just seen this glint in the eye of Novak from the uh, practice week. 
uh, these media conferences, that Wimbledon final is in his mind. He wants revenge, and he knows that clock is ticking. Uh, to get to 24, to keep you know, building this phenomenal record that he's got, he just absolutely zones in for the majors these days. Nothing else matters for Novak. And he's had the one five setter, which he tends to have during tournaments. He's got that out of the system. This is when he goes up a notch now. And Alcaraz has still got Sinner in his little quarter, which I think is a real danger for Carlos. And on the women's side, look, Shiontek's been superb. I mean, unless, unless she has a really bad day, I can't see anyone beating Eager if she's allowed to execute her game. So, yeah, she's looked good right from the start. Brett, thank you so much for bringing us up to date on the US Open, and we look forward to talking to you as the tournament progresses. Pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Brett Phillips, he's the host of the First Serve on SEN, of course, bringing us daily US Open updates. He comes to you thanks to the Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches and Stan Sports. Don't forget the First Serve live tonight across SEN from 6pm Western Standard Time. We'll be back with more after the break. Jimmy Buffett and perhaps let's let his music rest in peace as well. Hey, from the- <laughs> hey, Easy. Uh, one of the greats, obviously, and someone very near and dear to Paul Heath. Paul, we've got a lot of texts coming through on the temper at Bedshed text line. Let's get through a few of them. We do indeed, Duff. Uh, Rick from Woodvale. Uh, Eastern Randall have not self-reported. Surely the president and CEO of the Sharks have to stand down. Well, I think the standard of the waffle clubs across the board mm. administratively has to improve mm. because if you look at what's going on here with these salary cap breaches on one hand the waffle clubs are crying out for more money give us more funding give us more funding and then on the other hand there's all these salary cap breaches going on our club did it <laughs> and got pinged mm. for it probably severely, but still, you know, they should have been pinged. And now the um, commission has an interesting decision to make on East Fremantle. How serious were these breaches? How seriously will they take them? And what implications will it have for the Sharks Mm. going forward into next season? Because once you set a precedent by taking premiership points off a team, Mm. and I think what the commission was thinking, let's make a strong stand and we'll change the behaviours. Yeah. And it's very hard to change the behaviours of footy clubs. We don't have any idea on the sort of amount of money involved, do we? The same that we did with South Fremantle and um, the fine that they ended up. Well, with. it it does sound a lot like administrative errors. Yeah. But having said that, one of South Fremantle's was either administrative error or the Bulldogs getting cute mm. with a definition of what a coach <laughs> and what a player was around Nick Subin. Yeah. So they were basically paying him to coach while he was playing and he didn't have the right coaching accreditation. Right. Had they simply dotted their I's and crossed their T's and got the right coaching accreditation for him, they would have been right. I mean, fine. But yeah. that was clearly a case of a club getting cute. Yeah. Uh, Duff, is West Coast living rent-free in Cane Corns' head? Some of his hyperbole is beyond belief. Best and fairest should be celebrated. Uh, Tim Kelly's best and fairest should absolutely be celebrated. This is Tim Kelly's best season of footy, and he has played a very honourable season of footy um, for West Coast. When you look at the stats, I think he won their clearance count by 67. Wow. Hater? Yep. 67. 
that's uh, yeah, what three a game at least. <laughs> and he he won the I mean he won the vote count by thirty odd votes, but he was probably better than that, further clear than that, and that's saying something because Oscar Allen had a very good season and kicked mm. fifty three goals. Um, look. West Coast are going to be criticised because they've had a terrible season. They've had a terrible two seasons. Three wins last year, two wins the year before, a percentage of 53 Mm. last year. That is going to get you criticised every day of the week. But having said that, Tim Kelly absolutely deserves a lot of credit for his season. And Mm. so does Oscar Allen and so does Liam Duggan. For sure. The rest of the top 10, when Shannon Hearn finishes fifth off 13 games, that probably tells you what sort of season you've had. Yeah. What do you think you can have your say on the temperate bedshed text line? We'll be back to close up the show after the break. Yes, a Jimmy Buffett song I can relate to. Come Monday, it will be all right. Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio out here at Optus Stadium. Uh, we've got a couple more texts to get through here before sure do. we finish up. Yeah, Nigel from Gosling was saying, bit rough on Williams. He had an outstanding year. He ran sixth in the uh, Eagles' best and fairest. Uh, one vote behind Shannon Hearn, who had uh, yeah finished in fifth. Yeah, so I'm not sure whether Nigel's having to go at me or he's having to go at the Eagles <laughs> yeah. the way they tell him the votes, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, Nigel, um, absolutely nice that. Uh, mm. Bailey Williams, their most improved player. Um, outstanding, probably too strong a word, but a very good year, I mm. think, and a year that Bailey Williams can build on. And um, I think, interestingly, West Coast still thinks that Williams is a forward ruck, not a ruck. So mm. they're probably still looking for a ruckman to put alongside him, which probably means that they'll be going after Tim English in 12 months' time. Yeah, and uh, Ruben Jinby won the Emerging Talent Award and Nick Natanui was the, uh, won the award for community service at a uh, big night for the Eagles over the weekend. Yep, it's always a big night. Uh, very hard night to get into, some of the Eagles fans <laughs> pointed out that these things uh, tend to go to uh, sponsors and the like these days. But it is, look, when you're a club as big as West Coast, very hard for fans to get along to those things. A little bit of contract news around the AFL as well. Sam Flanders has signed a four-year contract extension at the Gold Coast Suns, so That's he's there through till the end of 2027. Fantastic, because he came of age uh, late in the season, so that's a great get for them. And Jake Lever is uh, entrenched at the Melbourne Football Club until the end of 2028 as well. Yep, very good play, Jake Lever, and he will be a key to the Demons' premiership hopes in the finals. The start off later this week, of course, going to be a big final series. We'll talk to Josh Kennedy tomorrow. A few other good guests on the show as well. We hope to get our Perth Scorchers representative in as well. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Hita. Thanks, Justin. We'll be back with another edition of the show tomorrow.